until working in high finance, you know, at the, and for some of the biggest banks on Wall Street and, you know, around the world that I really understand that like, there's this whole other level that people and communities are operating on that people that look like me have no idea about. They have no clue how they are plugged into the system and how really they're being utilized, their culture, their capital to make other businesses super duper successful. And I really wanted to find a way to make a difference. Hola, hola, it's Leanne, and you're listening to Moneda Moves, where we talk about Latinos, money, our role in contributions to the American economy. Today, we're going back to our roots in journalism and speaking with former co-worker Corey Hale, who is CEO and co-founder of Culture Bank's Redefining Tech and Business News for Underrepresented Communities Using Music. In particular, she focuses on the Black community, so we're very eager to talk to her about that today on Moneda Moves. Once an investment banker, Corey quickly developed an eye for news. She became the first black woman to anchor a daily news show from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, covering the intersection of business and culture. Yet she knew there was a need for business news that covered black and people of color specifically. Enter Culture Banks, a website covering business daily and redefining coverage for these communities. This interview was done in partnership with Meet La Prensa, a network of Latinx and POC journalists across the U.S., you can find them on YouTube as Meet La Prensa. Without further ado, here's our interview with Corey Hale. goodness I'm so excited to be here and I'm so excited for what you've been able to build out with your platform it's so impressive and so desperately needed yes and same I could easily say the same for you and I just checked out your new website it's incredible it's amazing providing business news about black people about underrepresented communities which is so needed and we don't see enough of it and enough authentic uh, media around it in, in mainstream media right. so can you walk us through a little bit of your career? You've worked as a producer for CNBC. You were the first black woman to anchor a new show at the New York Stock okay. Exchange and IC. So it's such a pleasure to have you here. Walk us through your entry into the business world, which wasn't through media to begin with um, and how you arrived at media. Yes, exactly, Leanne. It wasn't through media, which I know some people find it very interesting. I always say if I would have started in media, I don't know if I'd have been a business news reporter. I probably would have done sports or I don't know, something like that. But because I actually started as an investment banker first um, overseas in London and then back here in the US for several years, that really opened my eyes to the disparities. I mean, I've been black my whole life. So like I understand like the racial wealth gap and things that aren't happening in communities of color. But until working in high finance, you know, at the, and for some of the biggest banks on Wall Street and, you know, around the world, did I really understand that, like, 
there's this whole other level that people and communities are operating on that people that look like me have no idea about. They have no clue how they are plugged into the system and how really they're being utilized, their culture, their capital to make other businesses super duper successful. And I really wanted to find a way to make a difference. Absolutely. And I mean, that's exactly what you're doing now. You're partnering with the likes of some really big companies and so excited. I'm, I'm not going to steal your thunder. So excited for you to announce it on your platform. But was Culture Banks always the end goal or was it something that kind of uh, came to light as you learned more about the industry and you learned more about the way that media operates and covers our communities? So I guess the answer to that question is both yes and no about Culture Banks being the end goal. And that's really because when I was at Goldman Sachs and I had what I call my Oprah aha, like big epiphany moment, like bigger than my hair. Um, it's like, this is what you should be doing. You should be in business news. Um, what I wanted to do or thought I wanted to do, it didn't exist, which is exactly what I'm doing right now. But 10 years ago, like digital media and the way that we do it now, and it's so effortless, like it didn't exist. I even remember when I helped launch another media startup, Cheddar, like the stuff that we were doing at that time, it was kind of like, wait, what? You're just going to stream news content all the time, like on the internet? Like, that's weird. Like, who's going to watch that? And now it's everywhere. So Yes, my ultimate goal when getting out of investment banking was specifically to be a voice and a face for people who look like me and for my community and high level business news. And yes, to own my own company. I had no idea the day I stepped out of Goldman Sachs how I was going to accomplish any of that. Yeah, that, that's absolutely incredible. And it, and it says a lot to take that bigger risk because I think it has a different definition when you're a person of color. Right. We see these kind of stories where people leave their current jobs to go do something different. And, you know, you and I work at CNBC, so we've seen these stories. And quite frankly, uh, often it, it, it tends to be uh, people of privilege, right, of a certain kind of privilege who, uh, yes, it's still a risk, but it's a different kind of risk. Right. And so to be right. able to take this and be able to carry it on and for something that man that you manifested 10 years ago at this point. Um, to today, it's, it's, it's very powerful. So walk me through some of this coverage that we see on Culture Banks. What is it all that you cover and how does music find a place in this? Well, yes. So at Culture Banks, you know, we like to say we create business news for hip hop culture. And one of my early advisors um, is a guy named Mark Lore, whose name right off the top doesn't really like ring people's um, bells in any specific way, but he is a guy who founded several companies that went on to be acquired by the likes of Amazon and Walmart. And when I told him that we were doing this business news for hip hop culture, he was like, wait, and it's only for black people? He's like, but hip hop is so much bigger than that. Like it just, you know, it's this diaspora sort of effect that includes all of these different ethnicities, even though it was started in the black community. He's like, so when you're thinking about building this out, you always need to be having it in mind. How do you expand to include like these other demographics? So we always think about that. And we are heavily focused on the African-American community. We do cover some stuff out of the broader Latino Latinx community along with the Asian community. And that's something that we love to do more of in the future when we get to that point. But we like to talk about just the stuff that you would probably read in the, if you were the type to read the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or Reuters or CNBC, but you're like, you know what? They're not creating content for people that look like me. Like, I don't want to hear all this high level stuff 
Um, you know, I just need to know how this is going to impact me, how it's going to impact my culture. And my co-founder, he had another platform, a blog that he was doing before, and he had this section called Vibes of the Week, where he would just put out his favorite song. And we wanted to be able to keep that in this new company, Culture Banks. And I remember at the end of the first week, we were like, oh, shoot, we forgot to come up with the vibes of the week. Like, oh, it's so time consuming. We don't want to have to think through going through songs. And then I was like, doesn't it feel like every article kind of has its own soundtrack in a way? I was like, why don't we just associate songs with each of the articles that like speak to the content, but in a way that's culturally refreshing? And that was really how that idea kind of grew. And I was like, hey, and from that, then we can create like, you know, curated weekly playlist. And that's exactly what we were able to do. So every song that's attached to an article on the platform actually spins out into curated Spotify playlist. And it's really one of the dopest features, but it, it came out of this, really this necessity to like not have to figure out at the end of every single week, like the best songs that we're listening to. And then it just evolved into a much better sort of mainstay of how do we constantly infuse the music and the culture with every piece of content. That's so awesome. And I think I remember what you're talking about because you used to do a newsletter, like a digest, and you'd say, well, here are the songs that really resonate and really express to what we're listening to this week. And as somebody who's an audiophile myself, I love music. I feel like this is right up my alley. You know, like, it's just like, what, what does this, how does this speak to me uh, using music? And, and hip hop is obviously a very powerful genre. Um, yeah. Now, when we think about, um, you know, obviously you're covering underrepresented communities in the last year of being uh, the pandemic happening has financially devastated a lot of our communities, the Black, the Latinx community um, and other underrepresented minorities. Um, what role does social justice play in business and vice versa? Uh, so social justice has always played a huge role. And a lot of times it comes down to whether or not companies care to do something different. A lot of times companies, they weren't necessarily being like, oh, we're against social justice, but they weren't proactive and anything along the way. It's like, hey, all we care about is making money. We don't care how we do it, how we get there. And with the unfortunate death of George Floyd, that has really shifted mindsets because it's now, I've feel like it's held company and corporate America's feet to the fire to say, hey, you can no longer just sit by idly and be like, that's not our problem. We don't need to do anything about that. And said, hey, actually, no, we do need to do something about it. And it has to be more than making some sort of pledge, some sort of statement, some sort of PR press release. Like we actually need to take a stance. And if that means we lose business, we lose customers, we lose relationships, we should be willing to do that because for so long, the system has been so broken for so many people. And as I like to say, black culture, like we are culture. And sometimes I think that when I hear other people say, oh, especially in corporate America, that their culture or something in corporate culture, I'm like, but all of that is like derived from minorities and what you see that we do in our communities. And then you take it, you flip it, you make hundreds of millions of dollars off of it. And then our communities are left in the dust until you decide that we should, you know, get some form of a handout in their mm. opinion. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that's a very powerful statement. And that leads me to my next question, which is about how we've seen Wall Street, we've seen big corporate companies really lean into the messaging that they want to help these underrepresented communities. Um, as someone who comes from a neighborhood where uh, organizing and grassroots efforts were really important. 
I think doing that in an authentic way is really the way to do it. But I don't know that everyone necessarily has the tools or the connections or the relationships built with the community to do so. So what do you think needs to happen for these uh, statements to actually materialize and create some kind of impact in underrepresented communities? I think that they have to start with working with the companies, the organizations that have already been doing the work so often. I can just give culture banks like some of our stuff as examples. So we were trying to work with like a few banks for the past three years and they would say, you're just not big enough. Like we understand you definitely have our target demographic, but we're going to go with a bigger platform like Refinery29, which mind you doesn't focus on minority communities and their entire campaign or their, they have an entire division that's purely focused on like advancing black pathways or something. And you're not going with any black owned media companies. It's insane. And I'm like, well, how can you say this is what you care about, but you're going to go with this other media company that has a much smaller part of the audience that you're trying to get just so that you can then, right, go back to your meeting, your 2 p.m. meeting and tell your white boss a, a name, a household media name brand that they are comfortable with and be like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. We should go with them. As opposed to going with the company that is doing the work, actually hitting all of your target demo uh, categories and statistics and key demographics that you need, but you're gonna pass over us over and over and over again. It just, it's crazy. But I will say that more companies have been reaching out to us and we've been doing more partnerships with some major investment banks like UBS and we've worked with Facebook, we've worked with Lenovo and we have so many other companies coming up in the pipeline that we're gonna be working with as well that have said, hey, you take the lead, you tell us, like obviously you've been doing this and the community knows like they can come to culture banks to get this type of content and information. How can we actually be, you know, just a support for what you're doing and help this be amplified more? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I've definitely seen Which that. Which those are the types of conversations we need. Yeah, no, it totally is. It totally is. Now, as somebody who, as a Black woman who has both worked within the industry and also covered the industry critically on both sides, do you think this is a sustained movement or is it a moment as it stands right now? Um, well, I would like to believe and hope that it's a movement. I think some of my better intuition, Leanne, tells me that it's unfortunately a moment. But how long that moment lasts, I think is up to all of us as first consumers of these different businesses and corporations and putting our foot down and saying enough is enough. We're not going to tolerate this anymore. We're not going to let you keep doing this. Because even the Black Lives Matter movement, as so the name speaks, I mean, that's not really like for the Black community because I can assure you that there are very few black people across the US that wake up every day thinking, gosh, my life doesn't matter. Like we say that to make the others feel included. I've never woken up being like, because I'm black, my life doesn't matter. So when even when you hear people like chant that sort of thing, you're like, who are you really preaching this to? Like the choir or the people outside the church that you want to come in? And it's more for the people outside the church, not the people that are constantly already a part of the community and the ongoings day in and day out and they live through it like when people stop saying black lives matter i'm still going to be black mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so this is this is something that we've heard from from the black community, certainly. And I think that, uh, you know, speaking as a Latina, I think that there's also a lot of work to be done um, in between groups as well. And in, in terms of forming alliances across across the way, and there's a lot of work to be done, sustained work to be done there as well. Uh, now, you talk about um, black people as consumers, and I should mention Lat Latino uh, Latinx folks are also big consumers which I think kind of puts an interesting, um, puts us in an interesting position where we have, uh, where power and money, even though um, we may be consumers, we may be often portrayed as consumers um, and, and, mm. and are, uh, we, we start to realize the way that money is more powerful than we initially thought and how, how money can really, the, where we decide to spend our money can really make a right. difference. And so how do you see that evolving, that conversation in our communities about where we decide to spend our money and whether we decide to go for, for example, like big brands or um, fast brands and versus staying within the community, investing in our community, what kind of trajectory and what kind of evolution do you see um, within that world? Well, I'm a big consumer of or big believer, excuse me, and consumer of, hey, why don't you support the businesses and the communities that where you're from or where you want to live or that you want to see succeed like stop going outside of your communities for the same types of products and services that you could get two blocks away that doesn't mean don't support you know the big box stores that do different things because so of course sometimes they're a lot easier they hold more of the products that you might be interested in but it's important to make sure that you're not just skipping past you know the so-called small businesses that are really the backbone of America. And when it comes to our spending power, you are absolutely right, Leanne. We have got to recognize how powerful that is. And specifically for the African-American community, it's currently at $1.4 trillion. That is bigger than the economy of Mexico. That if $1.4 trillion was a GDP alone, it would be the fifth largest GDP in the world. That's just one ethnic group, if you start to look at the Latinx community here in the US and the power they control, especially, especially, which cannot be overlooked, the amount of people and the growing of the Latinx community and how they, you know, will represent 50% of the US population and what yep. some people predict could be as soon as 2050. Like this cannot be overlooked, the power, the consumer power that they have. If all of the black community and the Latinx community decided that they wanted to put a, any certain company out of business by withholding their money, they could yep, easily yep. do it. If we got together like, you have disenfranchised us, you have been wrong to our community for so long, we will no longer support your business. They would not be able to stay around. Like that is how powerful we are. And we have to not just recognize it, we have to own it and we have to be willing to act on it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where the conversation is really headed, because you're absolutely right. The Latino spending power is absolutely immense, it is increased exponentially. It is like the fifth or the sixth largest uh, country to put it together as a GDP in the world. Um, so I think that the, the really what's lacking and what we really want to see next is getting organized. Right. Um, and I think that the yeah. organizing across different groups, across different underrepresented groups is really what's next. It's also what one of our other reporters that we had on recently from CNBC, Brandon Gomez, alluded to asking, uh, will Latinos uh, continue to fight to find footwork within the system or eventually say we're just going to create our own? I mean, you, you ask, right. it depends who you ask. Some people may say they'll do both. 
but I definitely see more people making headway and in, in creating our own infrastructures and systems. So uh, thanks Jorge, yeah, well, for we, providing. We have to do that. Yeah. We have we have to do that. It can't it can it doesn't necessarily have to be either or in my opinion. Like we can definitely be both do both. I mean, let's be honest. At the end of the day, this entire country has been built on the blacks on the backs of blacks and Latinos. I feel like as African Americans, we started out, this country started out on the backs of slaves. And currently today, this economy would not survive without the Latinx community. I don't care how you want to slice it or dice it. Like it just wouldn't. So we have built this country. So I understand why people are like, we're not gonna walk away from it to just start our own thing. But because we should just use America as a case study because we have been able to collectively build this country, we can build something else even greater and better. It's a strong message to close out here on. Now, Corey, <laughs> I always ask this to all my guests. I pose this question to all my guests. What is the biggest money or business learning that you've had thus far? um that like overall it could be as abstract as you want or as um the the biggest money lesson let me just say we spent a lot of time talking about wealth and generational wealth especially in the black community because um and the racial wealth gap in general in this country and the biggest money lesson i learned is actually when i was working at ubs in london which is like my first job out of undergrad and I went to hear some managing director speak at like a town hall or something. And I remember he said, you've got to really think about what success is. And he was speaking to like a young analyst class, you know, just starting out at the firm. He was like, because if you don't define what success is early in your life, he was like, and that might be money. He was like, but if it's money, then you got to attach a figure to it. He was like, because if you don't attach a figure to however much that is, he was like, then you're always going to be chasing. He was like, but you have to define what your parameters for success are. It was like, because without it, you'll never be happy and you'll never figure out, you know, what your life's purpose is and where you want to go. And at that time, I was like, oh, that's so interesting. I wonder like how I would define success. Like I'd never really been posed that sort of question or thought before. And it took me several years to kind of figure it out. And when I came to it, which for me, yes, it is being financially solvent, but it is more so about making sure that the generations that come after me, and I don't have kids or anything right now, but the generations that come after me, that they already come into the game very financially solvent and aware and are able to make the type of decisions where money is not a precursor or a deterrent from them living out their life's purpose. And that's the other thing we talk about in the Latinx community, which is the ability to spread that wealth in a horizontal way to our community, which is so very powerful. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate you being with us, sharing your knowledge, and I hope to have you back on very, very soon.